0: brothers and sisters, friends of the Bible school, can you hear me back there? I'm beginning to get shy of this thing that's caused me so much trouble the last two days. I feel privileged to be here to stand before you once more. I think, uh, as the scripture tells us, it's good for us to be here be gathered in this assembly in the name of God in order that we might build each other up in the most holy faith. I want to call your attention to the little plaque I have over here. I've used this before, but I want to emphasize it with the uh, black and white lettering that uh, I found. I brought this from London with me. I was very proud to get a hold of that thing because I've used that expression a number of times, in the beginning, God. Unless we start off with the right premise on the subject of God, on the subject of religion, and the subject of our salvation, we never get very far. It is first and foremost essential that we know God. But we believe there is a creator and sustainer of all things, a God Almighty in heaven that rules in the kingdoms of men, sets upon thrones, the basis of men, and has a purpose for this earth and has a purpose for the people upon it. Without this basic understanding, there's no use of talking about anything else. In talking about our subjects at the beginning of the Bible School, It was the discussion of what we were talking about, and there was some discussion of first principles. What is first principle? Well, the very first principle is to realize and recognize that there is a God in heaven. There is no principle comes before that. This is a prerequisite to any principle. My subject having to be Israel, I consider also rates high on the totem pole, of essentials. Uh, this is basically going to be a slide program but I want to make a few comments before I get to the slides, so you'll have maybe a better understanding of some of the remarks that I will make without uh, extra clarification at that time. Israel, the name itself was a name given to Jacob, the beginning of Israel started in the twelfth chapter of Genesis with the call of Abraham. All throughout the Bible we are concerned only with Israel and the promises made unto Israel. Salvation is the things concerning the kingdom of God which is Israel Israel was God's kingdom Israel is again to be God's kingdom there are two, only two things involved in salvation there's the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ which one comes first the things concerning the kingdom of God because without understanding the things concerning the kingdom of God you cannot absolutely cannot understand the things concerning the name of Jesus Christ so Israel is far foremost the most important Because without it, there isn't anything else. (coughs) I want to say before uh, someone jumps to the conclusion that uh, Israel, as I saw it this spring, is something that I don't understand. I'm sure there's a lot of things about it that I don't understand. However, I do understand that the Israel that is there today is not the Israel that will be there when the kingdom is set up. The Jerusalem that I'm going to show you pictures of tonight, mostly Jerusalem and very close areas around it, Mount Scopus, Bethlehem, Hebron, uh, will not be there as they are today at the time the kingdom is set up. I know this. I'm fully aware of it. The entire geography will be entirely different than it is today. But unless we are made aware of the things that are taking place in Israel today unless we can understand some of the prophecies that have been declared and know what God is doing today the things that he is performing we will not recognize the things that are necessary for us to recognize uh, in uh things that will be absolutely essential to our salvation most of those here in the crowd tonight have heard the story of David and Goliath it's a great story it's very interesting it's a story of which has been told for centuries yea about three thousand centuries three hundred centuries three thousand years and just wait a minute the same story was repeated two or three times in our lifetime we as this crowd in this auditorium tonight are living God's final miracles and work upon this earth upon this dispensation upon this creation the mere fact that one little shepherd boy David killed one big Philistine Goliath was a nice story but you live to see that story in its second phase when one little nation of Israel basically 50,000 people fought against the kings of the East, the nations round about, the Arabs, three definitions or three identifications of a group of people that consisted of some 130 or 140 million people surrounding these few uh, uh, Israelis in the land of Canaan on three sides and the Mediterranean Sea on the fourth side, making it possible for David's prediction in the 83rd Psalm, 3,000 years before, that these very enemies would come against them with the intentions of driving them into the sea that they be no more The king of Egypt quoted those very words and chanted them and they danced in the streets for three days and nights before the war started in 1967, June the 6th. It's not a coincidence that David wrote the very same words that the king of Egypt said. It shouldn't be a coincidence that you realize the fact that another David fought a greater Goliath and won a greater victory We are living and seeing God performing acts far, far greater than he had ever done before. While Jesus was on the earth, he turned water into wine. Just imagine in your own minds today some of the things that you have seen that God only could perform that you are fully aware of. Now lest you be as the people were at the time of Christ and you ignore and you explain away these phenomena in some satisfactory explanation to your own mind, you'll be in exactly the same shape way they were. God sent his son into the earth. Isaiah wrote chapter after chapter about it. The prophets told all about it. The Israelites, the, the uh, Hebrews, knew what the prophets had written. They were fully aware of it. They were so aware of it that they prepared ahead of time the lies they would tell if and when these prophecies came to pass. I have a whole file of magazines today telling if, when, and why the Israelis won the war against the Arabs with the odds such as, as absolutely impossible. And there isn't a single time that the word God is mentioned in any of these articles. Yet some of the wisest military men and historians in the world are are, uh, responsible for them. But never once is the word of God mentioned. Not one single time has God been considered in the things that have taken place in the Middle East in the last 30, 40, or 50 years particularly in the last 25 years. I was there to see some of the preparation for the 25th anniversary celebration. We left just a few days before the big parade took place. We saw the light post moved back on the main boulevards throughout Jerusalem so it would make room for the type of a parade it was going to put on. There was miles of bleacher seats built so that the people could see the parade. Today, we have a nation of Israel that was prophesied hundreds and hundreds, literally thousands of years ago, that it would be regathered. Starting with the 36th, 36th and 37th chapters of Ezekiel, we find that God telling Israel that he would bring them back, telling them that in spite of who and what they are, that they would be brought back and they would be made into a nation, and nothing would stop it. And when they were brought back, they would never be driven out again. Referring to them as to them as the dry bones that would rattle, that come to life, that sin would come on these bones. These bones is rattle and they're making a good deal of noise in the world today. Are we hearing it? Are we hearing God's last gesture of warning to humanity? That is being sounded today. There won't be much more. The last great prophecy that has been prophesied is pretty well completed before your eyes today. The David and Goliath has been performed in its second act, in a far greater condition than the one than the first. God is trying to tell the world something. And he is going to get more direct and more direct as the days go by until he will make every man that stays on the face of the earth that continues to live on the earth to know that he is God. <coughs> Before I go further, I would like to read uh, from David's writings, primarily now the 124th Psalm, uh, all through the Psalms, the 11th Psalm, the 19th Psalm, all well, of the Psalms, all through the Psalms, David speaks of the things that are taking place, speaks of the things that have taken place. And I at this time feel that at the point that we have arrived at that these particular Psalms, the 24th and the part of the 26th, are sitting at this time uh, <clears throat> as David foresaw 3,000 years ago. Psalm 124, the song of decrees of David. If it had not been the, not been the Lord who on our side, now may Israel say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they had swallowed us up quick when their wrath was kindled against us. When the waters had overwhelmed us, the streams had gone over our souls. Then the proud waters had gone over our souls. Blessed be the Lord who hath not given us to a prey as a prey to their teeth. Our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the swollen, or oh, snare of the flowers. The snare is broken and we are escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. While during the time I was over there, the guides, the individuals that we talked to, every one of them uh, continually remarked that they could not have been there had it not been for God. It was literally impossible for them to accomplish the things that they accomplished without the aid of God. They're not as sure as I told uh, a number of them that I am sure that they are there and they're there to stay, that God is with them. But, this, this, but the, my word doesn't persuade them any more than the word of God does. They're still quite concerned. Those people up on Golden Heights say that they're only up there because of the power of God to bring them up there, but they just hope that if they run into another conflict that God will be with them. Because if He's not, they dread to think what will happen. Uh, in the twenty-sixth Psalm, I'll read the first three verses. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dreamed Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof for we are glad. David wrote these words 3,000 years ago that they are saying today. And if you are in Israel on a Saturday night after 6 o'clock, after their holy, holy day is completed, and they get out to celebrate and enjoy themselves, you will get some idea of how joyful a thing it is that they are in their own homeland. And they do celebrate and they do sing and dance and they do enjoy themselves and give glory to God, the one God of of heaven, which certainly is a pleasing to God. Now, don't misunderstand me. They are not serving God as God would have them to do. Or should I not say that? They are serving God as God said they would do. They believe in the one God of Israel. They believe in the hope of Israel. They believe in the promises made to Abraham. They believe in the return of the Messiah. It has been their prayer for centuries upon centuries. Next year in Jerusalem. Now they are in Jerusalem, and their their uh, the term I want I can't call. Anyhow, the slogan that they are using today is "Never Again." As their young soldiers at the age of 18, both boys and girls, are sworn into the Israeli army up on top of the Masada, they start this slogan, never again, never again shall they be driven out of this land. I feel that it is significant that they are saying this. Personally, I do not believe that they can be driven out of the land again. I've said this ever since they went in there. And I still maintain that belief. I know it's not universal, but nevertheless but they are saying "Never again this is a slogan that here in Jerusalem is no, no longer needed they have repeated that for 2,000 years but Israel is the most important thing to us that there is our eyes on Israel is the thing that is absolutely necessary if we are uh, expecting to participate in the promises made to Israel in the hope of Israel then it is absolutely necessary for us to maintain a vigilance on Israel to know something about Israel to be familiar with Israel and particularly what thus saith the Lord about Israel it's immaterial what we think about Israel except for we think of thus saith the Lord It's immaterial what people say about Israel or what some nation does or does not do relating to Israel but what thus saith the Lord and there is so much in the scripture relating to Israel starting with the call of Abraham in the 12th chapter of Genesis that's all there is Israel the kingdom of God, the dispersion of Israel, and the prophecies of the regathering of Israel in which we are living. What else is there in the Scripture? All things relating to this one subject, Israel. So in the hope of Israel, at the mercy of God, we even carry on this program further tonight. may God be merciful unto us open our hearts and our minds unto him unto his plan for this world there is nothing so important to our lives as being a part of Israel adopted sons of Israel if we are Christ then are we Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise and what is that promise that promise was made to Israel it was made to Abraham Isaac to Jacob to David one more remark before we start our pictures I want to uh, call your attention to uh, the fact that David ranks high in the interest of Israel of today, of the Israelites in Israel at this very hour. If you are familiar with the Israeli flag, and I think most of you are, you have right in the middle of it the Star of David. Now this star is not an Israeli star. It is not a Hebrew star. It never represented the, the Israeli people this may come as a shock to some of you I see some startled faces the star of David only came into being and representing uh, the Israelites in the 16th century and it started in Spain as you go through the ruins of the the land of Israel as you go through the torn down temples and the areas there there are stars of David this is quite true but a star a six-pointed star does not mean anything. It doesn't even mean that a Hebrew has ever been there. There's but one significant symbol that you look for when you're in Israel to indicate ancient Hebrewism, and that is the menorah. And sometimes you will find a picture of the Torah inscribed in a stone, but not the six-pointed star. So we have a new development Israel is called Israel because the Bible said it would be. They are basing their their entire uh, dependence on the return of Christ, the return of the Messiah, not Christ, pardon me, I should not have said that. That's slip of the tongue. They are looking for the Messiah, and the Messiah will come. They are looking for their King David. Practically every every household, every family has a David in their family, and the word David is second most almost to God on their tongue thus the star of David which they have implanted in recent years God didn't give them the star of David he did not give them the menorah now the menorah still is a symbol of Israel but it was not until sometime in the 16th century the star of David has been adopted in recent years for the new and modern Israel because it Represents David uh, because they are symbolizing it with David. It has been recognized for some time, uh, so I think this is significant in understanding something about the feeling uh, of Israel toward their ancestry and their background. The people in Israel uh, know the Bible. They know the the. Old Testament, they also know the New Testament, I even know they don't believe it, but they can tell you about everything that's in it. They are teaching their children the Bible, they are teaching their children Israel, they are taking their school children all over the land, so that by the time they, they get out of school, they know every spot in the land of Israel and what happened there, the battles that were fought, and the things that took place on each of those hillsides and on tops of those mountains all over Israel, from one end to the other and the things that happened in Egypt and other places regarding Israel we are teaching by way of, of um, animated drawings uh, um, on film so that the Israeli child knows what an Israeli is there is absolutely no doubt in his mind who and what he is when they get into the army 20 to 25 percent of all army training is the bible Their agriculture even is based on the Bible because they use the Bible to locate water. They are almost daily finding water supplies because as they read and they study their Bible and they learn that a, uh, an army was encamped or a city or a village or a group of people at some period of time or the other was in a certain area of the land of Canaan, they say if people was there, there had to be water. And they start digging and they happen to find it. And there's wells all over, up and down there, and different places where our history books indicate that man never was. But they have somehow come up with things that has told them where these places are, and they are finding wells and pumping streams of water like they do out in Colorado. And other places where they pump water for irrigation. And they're growing all kinds of things. They use the Bible. They use the Bible, practically all the, the battle that was fought except on the Golan Heights, all down in the Sinai, 1967. All of the military tactics came out of the Bible, so beware of considering the fact that they do not know the Bible and that they do not know their God. I think now, if somebody up there is ready to turn some lights out, and I'll try and get this harness on and get all geared up, and we'll look at some pictures. This is a new slide. I don't think it can possibly more than be more than six months old. I bought it in Jerusalem. Is there anything a little strange looking about that for you that has been looking at maps of Israel for the last few years? There's <coughs> something quite different there. And you see any occupied terio- territory on that? It's all one color, clear up here to the Golden Heights, clear on down here, down the Gaza Strip, clear over to the Suez Canal nothing there is only one color and nothing says anything about any occupied territory I think this is significant that Israel has seen fit at this time they undoubtedly see that the world has been uh, uh, tempered to accept this condition they would not have done that six years ago they would not have done that five years ago They didn't even stay down here in the Sinai in 1956. They went down there and took it, went to the Suez Canal, but they turned around and went home because it wasn't time, because the world wasn't tempered to the point where they would accept this kind of invasion by Israel. Today they went down there. They stayed down there six years ago. The map has been drawn off here showing, showing occupied territory of the West Bank up through here, and all of the Sinai Peninsula down here, as occupied territory by Israel, indicating that it was not a possession of Israel, was not a part of Israel, but that it was simply militarily occupied. Uh, these maps have been printed, and I'm sure people know it. I'm sure the Arabs all know it, and I'm sure people uh, in the United Nations know it. I've never heard a word about it. I wonder what would happen, say, we would print up a map of Germany and like the United States in it in the western occupied portion of Germany you suppose it would stick I don't but this time as this map is growing and it is going to continue to grow till it occupies all of the nations round about it is absolutely necessary that they take those Arab territories including the nations round about which is uh, Starts up here at Lebanon and Syria and Jordan and Saudi Arabia over into Egypt and right on across North Africa. So one of these days before long you'll be able to go to Israel and visit the pyramids. It is necessary that they take this land that was given to them. This land all through down in here was occupied by Joshua when he went in before. The land that was given to Abraham went clear over to the Euphrates River. And bit by bit, and bit by bit, they're going to keep enlarging and growing until they take the whole thing. The incident that took place up in Lebanon while we were there uh, brought about a fact that maybe you have overlooked. But when Israel went in and, and shot a bunch of the Palestinian leaders in Beirut, A real battle took place between the Palestinians and the Lebanese, and immediately the Syrians threw their entire army along this border here to prevent the Palestinians from getting over in Syria. Now Syria today is the only country that has in any way uh, even suggested that they might consider challenging Israel in a military conflict. But why did they throw their army against Lebanon? Because they didn't want the Palestinians to get over into Syria. They knew just as soon as, as, soon as the next took place, like what took place in Athens this week, that uh, uh, Israel would be over there into Syria and probably shoot up Damascus just the same way, and the world would know the condition that Damascus stood in militarily. Now, why do I say that this is the situation? Well, this is the reason why I say it, Two years ago, when Jordan was fighting the Palestinians, King Hussein turned his army loose against the Palestinians. The Syrians sent, sent their army and tanks into Jordan to protect and fight with the Palestinians. What is, what, what is the change? The change is the weakness of Syria and the fear of Israel. That's what the change is. There's no other reason for it. There's no other answer. But they have a entirely different situation. Syria, even now, is not considering challenging. Egypt has given up a long time ago. Jordan would have capitulated five years ago and joined up with Israel if it had not have been for the fear of being destroyed and war against them by their own people, the Arabs. The Jordanian Palestinians that, that uh, didn't get destroyed by the Jordanian army went over here and jumped across the Jordan River, which wasn't much of a jump and surrendered to the Israeli army, the army which they are dedicated with their name written in blood, in some cases, to destroy. Now, is this not irony? That rather than to surrender to their own brothers, they would cross the river and surrender to the armies of Israel, who was dedicated to their utter destruction. Only if you can give God a place in your mind will you be able to understand that. This map, I thought, was showing uh, the old map of Israel, but it really doesn't. Here's the West Bank kind of cut out here, but it doesn't show it very good, and the Gaza Strip is is a little bit even poorer down there, so you can't really see what Israel looked like before the 67-day war, but, I mean, this Boy, am I confused. Huh? If I can point this a uh, location out here on Israel, it goes up something like this. Jugs over here the Gaza ship, comes up in here to Jerusalem, and the big chunk cuts out here. And then the Golan Heights also is a part of Syria under the old regime. Uh, the distance from Elit up here to Dan and up close to uh, Mount Hermon is 165 miles. At that time, the land was only... Uh, uh, 70 miles wide at the widest, which was right through here, and only about 6 to 8 miles wide, which is right across here from Kenya over to the West Bank perimeter of the thing. It was the uh, land of Israel as it was before 67, was about 8,000 square miles. Now it's about 10 times as big with all of this. Of course, most of this is worthless. It's of very little uh, value to anybody. However, Israel is getting enough oil from oil wells right along this border here to surprise their entire need of oil in the nation for today and I don't know whether maybe for a while longer than that they don't seem to be worried much about oil <coughs> that's just a topographical map does that map reminds me of a map I guess it's gone from up here now that uh, brother Dunaway used to speak from a lot and he had the cities marked on there I think that's one reason why I threw it in. There's a 747 in flight. For anybody that hasn't seen a 747, you really can't tell much about it that way. But if you get on the inside of it here, it gives you some idea of the size of the plane. I imagine some of you have been on one, but some, I'm sure, have not. And it's really as much different as an airplane as any other plane is between an airplane and an automobile. You can sit in that thing and watch a three-hour show and eat your breakfast and get off in London from New York and not even know you've been in the air. It's smooth, it's quiet, and it's different than an airplane ride altogether. Let's get on over to Jerusalem. (coughs) Loin is standing here up near the top, not clear to the top, but near the top of the Mount of Olives, looking over to the old city of Jerusalem, and then back in the background is the new city of Jerusalem. Right along here is a cemetery that was completely destroyed by the Jordanians during the 25 years of occupation between 48 and uh, 67. But uh, it has been restored to quite a degree. Uh, Jews have come to this particular point of geography on the earth for centuries to be buried here because they believe, and I'll get a better picture a little later on, that shows the Golden Gate across, right across the Keegan Valley here, in the wall, where uh, traditionally Christ, anyway, is supposed to come to Jerusalem, and uh, they wanted to be there and be right there handy at the time of the resurrection. Now, it tells you something about them, doesn't it? They undoubtedly believed in the resurrection. Someone asked me, was the Jews believed in the resurrection? There are Jews that do not believe. They believe that what you get in life you get now, but there are also Jews that believe in the resurrection because they wouldn't have gathered from throughout the world to be buried on this hill to be there when their Messiah comes. Uh, this is another uh, uh, very similar uh, picture from about the same vantage point. Uh, right over here is the Golden. No, here I'll get that right. There's the Golden Gate, the two arches. Uh, during the 25 years of occupation, 20 years—I don't know where I said 20, 25—20 years of occupation by the Jordanians. They come along and they made them a cemetery right up against the wall on this side, across the Chibin Valley, and right up against the wall of the old city of Jerusalem So, uh, Christ will have to stumble, or the Messiah will have to stumble over those tombstones to get into that Golden Gate. Am I coming through all right, Tom? Good. I sure hate to be talking for an hour and somebody tell me they couldn't hear me. Here is uh, a view down, down downgrade from that same point, looking almost. South down the down the bottom end of the Kidron Valley, and as it curves around there, you get uh, into Gehenna, the Valley of Gehenna, uh, the dung gate. Past the, back uh, that's a little bit wrong. Right here is Mount Zion, and then the wall city starts just to right of this picture. This is all completely south of the wall city of Jerusalem, but it's been standing up on the same position up uh, on top uh again this picture is not it is mighty uh, uh misleading as i say you cannot show things on photographs that you can see i have been watching pictures showing films i've seen yards and yards and miles of movie film people's slides has been going over there for the last 20 years and all of this and i still found that there was very little that i knew in, in relationship to a lot of things over there This Stephen Valley down here is way down at this point here. You're way down low. There's two road levels. One of them can't even be seen in the picture. Uh, And you're looking over a deep valley and looking down on the city. Well, as I see it now, you're still looking up at that city. But you're really looking down on it uh, from that vantage point on the Mount of Olives. This is a a little bit uh, closer up picture. This is the high corner here of the old city. This is the... Alaska Mosque right on this corner is where the Australian attempted to destroy this uh, uh, this contamination off of the uh, holy area of Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple area was right in well it went clear on up past here because right to the right we'll see uh, the mosque of Omar in a minute. Now we want this or the other that uh uh This is more of the cemetery and the the valley. Now let's go on and get another one. (coughs) There, here is the Mosque of Omar and the the ground comes up to here and down across. It's a rather big space. that was the um, temple area where Solomon's temple and associated buildings stood. Now it is the only two buildings of any significance. is the Mosque of Omar, which is second only in the Mormon religion to the mosque at Mecca and Medina. And this mosque here uh, was put here because it's right on the edge of the wall. In fact, it overhangs the wall a little bit. And its purpose in being built was that when uh, Muhammad came back down from heaven on his white horse after getting his instructions from God, his horse almost missed the thing and his back feet hung over the wall. So as a result, they built the Alaska Mosque, and it almost hangs over the wall. Some of it now is piled up as rubble right back over here inside this wall, a lot of burnt timbers. There's some scaffolding there now, but there hasn't been any repairs made yet. This is made from down by the wall, the lower corner of the wall. This is Gethsemane, this general area in here from the road back this is a Roman Catholic Church and it's called the Church of All Nations. It is inside of the Garden of Gethsemane. Right back in here, some of the big olive trees, that is the Gethsemane area. Uh, <clears throat> that would be standing in front of the church and looking up, would be looking up on the Mount of Olives about where we were standing to take the pictures which you have just looked at. Again here, now the pictures of the city was taken from a vantage point. I believe it's right along there. There's a road and a big uh, uh, observation area. These are new motels uh, up right on top. As I told you, it wasn't quite to the top of the model But right along here is the point that was taken. Down in here, you get some idea maybe that that would give you of uh, the depth of the valley. I imagine it's... Uh, Oh 400 feet down into there and then back up. I took this picture off the top of the wall You can see some of the stones at the top of the wall of the old city there This also is taken from the from the high road uh, below the wall of the old city and back and this here is the uh, Sometimes called the tomb of Absalom and then uh, there's another thing they call it. It's not this is maybe a shrine but there is more than one term, but anyhow, it has something to do with Absalom, uh, according to tradition. Uh, you always have to get this in because truly probably none of this uh, is, it was there. It was, all has been destroyed and rebuilt a number of times. If you recall, uh, the most uh, devastating destruction was when the Emperor Hadrian, in about the year 130, He said he destroyed the city, he tore the walls down, he plowed it up so he would have had to put earth on it to plow it up and salted it so that nothing would grow there and defied the Jews ever to return to Jerusalem. They did stay for quite a while, um, and they went up to a little town in the north in the Galilee area that I showed you last night where the Sanhedrin was set up, and they was up there for some 120 years. Uh, so all of this has been destroyed and rebuilt maybe two, three, and four times since the time of Christ. So anything you see there is not anything that Christ would have seen, or gone into, or walked on, or anything else. But this is what stands here today. Uh, let me see, Lorena is standing here at the... Uh, I guess that's the Zion Gate. I'm not really sure but that's one of the outside gates on the west side of uh, the wall city of Jerusalem where you go into the old wall city now here is the entrance the present entrance uh, to the western wall or the wailing wall the wailing wall is around the corner in that that way a, this is a group of children I told you you see these everywhere there's a line of them going all the way across there they are a, a school class uh, being brought there, maybe from a kibbutz way up in the north in the Golden Heights or somewhere, or down south or down in the Negev, and they're brought around and they will be shown all of Jerusalem, new Jerusalem, and old Jerusalem, so they will be very familiar with the whole thing. And that is some of the class right there at this time. Now, let's see if we get up. Well, we'll just pass that one up. Got some digging on the outside wall, but it's laying down, so we'll not bother with it. Here's some more diggings. They've got wire fence and post built up here. This is right down uh, at the uh, north end, near the Dung Gate at the north end. Outside the old wall of Jerusalem. where they've gone down here. A couple of layers, a couple of cities below the one that's there now. They have dug down 70 feet, and they find that there is still city below that level. I don't know just how many levels. I really didn't hear how many levels is found within that 70 foot sort of digging. But they're going down, they're working there all the time. It takes lots of time and lots of money to excavate all of the things there is in Israel. In fact, I think, it's, I doubt that it could possibly ever be all excavated, but that's one of the operations, and there's nobody working right there, but there isn't somebody that Jesus mixed up. Now, this is the Wailing Wall. Uh, the stones that you see here, up to this point right about in here, I believe it is, because them look smaller. These are the larger stones. They are Herodian stones. If you've been in Israel a little while, you'll soon learn how to identify Herodian stone that the uh, King Herod uh, built when he did so much of the building, then much of the building, of uh, great buildings was done. Uh, you see some of the things that were done by Herod, you, uh, you know that he was a quite a magnificent builder, uh, a very, a very unlike king a very harsh I suppose man and it was for that reason that he built three places of escape the Masada being one of them as I've already shown you and he had two others where he could escape to with his army and he had a, a bastion of defense that was uh, almost impregnable so um, he was prepared if it was necessary which it never happened to be to get away from his, his uh, followers or his Uh, fellow people Uh, but these stones were laid by Herod down here but they are the closest thing to uh, Solomon they are on the foundation and they have dug down here about 70 feet on this side and they are satisfied that the basic rocks the foundation rocks down there are original but far down into the ground from this level it is Herodian stones but this was a valley at one time, too, on this side of the city, just like the other. The city at one time was built on a hill. Now you start from this level. They have raised the gates that went into the city at one time are much lower than the ones that go in now. At the Damascus Gate, they have just simply built a bridge up and you come, down, you come down the hill all the way and you go into Damascus Gate, but you go on a level above the level that was used maybe a couple of centuries ago where the gates are still down below, but you would go into nothing. you go into rubble, but the, uh, the, low, the next lower gates are still there in the case of the Damascus Gate. But the, this was a valley from this point down, probably anything from the 70 to 100 feet, but at least 70 feet. That valley in the city now is all filled up, and it goes from there on up, 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 up into the new city of Jerusalem. But you don't go down through a valley like you would going on the east side down into the Keegan Valley and back up the Mount of Olive. Yes. Uh (laughs) this picture really doesn't show the dividing fence so well, but if you look right down through there, this is a long fence. On this side the ladies go, on this side the gentlemen go. And don't get confused or mixed up, you get thrown out. Uh, this is not a not, not barbed wire, that's a chain with some fancy little gimmicks on it all the way along. The openings are near, well I think the one, this opening is right in here. The other opening is beyond the picture there. These are tables. Uh, they have drawers and they have some equipment and some brochures and information in them. Uh, this is real fancy velvety stuff with Stars of David and Manolas on it and all of this. Um, over there somewhere, there's a. You see, right here is a probably a Hasidic, at least an Orthodox Jew, standing there at the wall, wailing. He will be taking on his motion, going back and forth and praying. He might stand there for hours. He may get through in 15 minutes and go on about his business. Uh, you can rent all the lucky gear, all the stuff that is involved in, a, in a, an official prayer at the wall, if you want to. They've got all the stuff there, and they will put it on for you. And if you're not familiar with the whole ordeal, why, they will help you and tell you what to do and how to do it. And of course, a lot of people that come there uh, are already prepared. Now this, I forget the day we were there, but it was during midweek, and uh, and it was in the morning that we were here, and there wasn't very many people. But on uh, the Sabbath day, on a Saturday, this whole area, which is a big area behind that fence even, it's still about uh, 175 to 200 feet from this point to the wall. That's a large area inside the chained area on both sides. This great big area is probably two acres out in front. And they say many a Sabbath day, it is full of people, full of Jews, waiting to get to the wall to pray. They stuff little wads of paper. I got a little wad of paper over right about in here somewhere. I wasn't going to do it. Lorna says, "Well, I'm going to," so I didn't tell her, but I did one too. Uh, but they go in there and they say their prayers. This this is the most important place that they can go to pray. Second to do it is the uh, tomb of Rebecca, which we will see after a while if I don't waste too much time before I get there. Uh, here, here we're getting geared up. This, as you notice, the hat there—that is one of our tour members. Here's another one of our tour members, you can tell by the hat they're wearing, here's the stuff they put on, the shoulder pieces, and they get all strapped up and their armband around their arm and all wrapped up and they get all fixed up there, and they go and they put on doing an official prayer at the wall, In these places you can rent those things and they'll fix you up there. Now this is up close to the wall, this is probably not more than 30 feet back from the wall itself. The Herodian stones, this don't, uh, picture don't show them too well, but it, you can see it, I have from here, maybe you can even see it better over there. The Herodians' building stones all had a border on them. They were all knocked in. The big stones about three inches back from the edge were set back some half-inch. And they're quite evident and you can see them all over Israel. Uh, this is the same thing now taken from a little farther back. And you've got a good deal better picture of this wall here. Again, this is the women's side. And uh, the men over there. You can see the gold dome of... <laughs> can you hear me? Can you understand what I'm saying? I'm getting a bunch of blubber in here. It's coming back at me. Uh, you see the gold dome of the Mosque of Omar right up there so you know that you're in the right place. This is the outer... This is the uh, the western wall of the temple area. It's inside the city of Jerusalem because it lies exactly between old Jerusalem and new Jerusalem. It's outside the world city of Old Jerusalem. Now we're up on the Temple Area and facing toward the uh, Mosque of Omar. Uh, we'll get to, there's a little closer up picture. Uh, I think the next one will. No, now we're back to the Eskimos. This is the front of the Eskimos. We've got our shoes back on, but you have to take your shoes to, off to go in there. Um, and uh, you can't take any pictures in there but when you get outside you can buy pictures so i don't think it's a a, a religious requirement that pictures not be taken but uh, they tell you no pictures uh this is some remains of uh, old buildings now this is not you can this is not anything left from solomon's temple because solomon's temple was completely destroyed and lies probably at least 50 feet below the grade that we have here. But down through the ages, probably the last to do this, that seems to be a Crusader arch. I didn't hear anything about this, but the Crusaders, this Gothic arch here would indicate that it goes back to the time of the Crusaders would be around the 11th or 12th century. These little things just stand around there as relics of ages gone by. This is another of the gates. I'm not going to try and uh, say which one it was on on the uh, western wall uh, of Jerusalem when you go in. I just took this picture to give you. This is a close-up of the outer wall. This is by the Jaffa gate. I remember where it was taken. Uh, The old window there, the ironwork up there, but if you will notice uh, the difference. Now the big stones that you saw down below, here is smaller stones, a different kind of work. Here is another kind of construction with a different colored stone. Up here you have a, a layer repair that's made look like of cobblestone, irregular shapes, and big wide mortar joints. Uh, and if you stand back and look at the old city walls in different areas, you will see all kinds of construction, all kinds of stones, and all kinds of mortar joints. Meaning it's been up and down quite a number of times, even the wall is standing there now. Uh, this goes back to St. Peter's Gate, I'm almost sure in this case. Anybody <coughs> recognizes it was something better, correct me, but uh, we have a number of pictures of different gates taken from different angles at different times, and it's mighty hard, and the ones we used the most was the Jaffa Gate and the and the um, Damascus Gate. I do know them, at least the pictures I took of it, but otherwise it's pretty hard to remember gates and gates. Now here's some digging. Let's see, that doesn't show anybody doing digging. And now here's the ground level that you're working on or considering right now on the outside of the old wall. And you can see how far down this. This is some 20, 25 feet they've gone down. And you see the walls, I tell you, where they're, where they're uncovering and they do go down in here. And down in here is where they'll find those clay water vases and lamps and all kinds of uh, the artifacts that uh, you might imagine down in there. And you see that's quite a depth and the wall, the ceilings were low in the first place, so maybe there's not over a foot or two feet of this wall gone. Maybe none. Maybe that was just the roof over that, because I couldn't get at a vantage point where I could see down into the thing. There's another cavity in there that they've uncovered now and open. I don't think these were dug out. Sometimes they do have to dig them out, but sometimes they find that they are already open areas. And there's places, if you go down like this, and you can look into a place, an archway of a door and there's another floor level down there and maybe a a room fairly open. There's all kinds of things that they're finding that they didn't know was there. Now here, as I've told the class a number of times, uh, in Israel you can see the very oldest method of transportation and work labor and so on and the very most modern and you can see them right together one trying to run over the other sometimes. Here's the little donkey See how small he is, and he's laden with rocks. They make metal saddles that goes over their back, and they pile rocks on them that I'm sure weighs at least one and a half times the weight of the donkey itself, and moving around, hauling sand and gravel and stones and all this kind of stuff. This man here is a, a, a bonk. No, this is from a man from Pennsylvania, one of our uh, members of our tour at this particular time. Uh, this is some of the devastated areas, the blown out holes and damage that I just took a picture of. There's a fence there. You're not supposed to get in there and get around that. They are rebuilding. I have to tell you at this point that the Jordanians, during the time they occupied Jerusalem, they utterly destroyed and literally wiped out everything closely related to Judaism and the, Jew- and the, Israel- and the Jewish section of the old city. Now, the old city is divided into sections. There are Jews, a Jewish section, an Arab section, an Armenian section, a Christian section. I guess that's it, four sections. The Jewish section was completely obliterated. There wasn't a single thing left. There wasn't anything that would, with, a, with a menorah on it. There wasn't anything that uh, would, would uh, ever remind the Arab of the Jews again left in the Jewish section. The Jews are at this time rebuilding it, trying to rebuild it as near exactly like it was as they can or as they know how or as they can remember or anybody's memory is or any pictures of any particular areas. They're making a great effort to replace it. However, since they found out that there's at least 70 feet of old city, city after city down below them, which would take ages to go down and dig all out and determine as it is wait thing turn it off it's necessary uh, for archaeologists they have gone down and in some ingenuous way have uh, built uh, columns or pillars further down to the bottom and are going ahead and building this new city on the level that the uh, city was just 20 years ago and making it possible that at any time they have the time they can go in underneath and dig out and work out the city city after city below and they will be supported. They are so building it with steel and concrete that uh, the new city will be suspended above and they can go ahead with their digging whenever they find the time. And I, I have a feeling that they will never find the time because uh, time is going to be too short. But this is the situation and I think you should know what the Arabs did to the Jews as well as the Jewish problem. The Jews that were there were never seen anymore either. No, never heard of. When they took Jerusalem in 1948, all Jews and all things related, to Jews disappeared. Uh, this is a a store building, a room. This is a kind of a room. This was just a blown-out one, a, an evacuated one since the war uh, that has not been put back into use and you get some idea of the size of the stores the business places in jerusalem that's, a, that's just about a typical store whether it be a meat market a grocery store produce uh, a sewing shop a shoe shop a tin shop or uh, whatever it might be all businesses carried on in a spot about that size of course during the hours of business they spill over into the little narrow walk quite a ways and you can hardly get around them sometimes You get some idea here of the width of the street. You see the damage, the missing walls here. Now, a lot of the old city of Jerusalem, the roof is made in domes like this, built this with stone. Uh, the architecture there will tell you that it's relatively new, but you see what's all missing in here and gone, and sometimes the people are living there. Any of these older buildings are Arabic, and it is nearly all Arabs living in Jerusalem today yet. There are a few Jews. They moved in there just to show the Arabs that a Jew can live in Jerusalem. Not that they want to, but just to make it known to the Arabs that if a Jew wants to live in Jerusalem, he'll live there. <coughs> but that's about all it amounts to because there's practically no Jews in Jerusalem. Uh, in fact, they're finding now that the homes that they're building, the Banuans, uh, but they are built on the scale and on and in the manner in which the older ones were built, and the people that would Move into Jerusalem that they had hoped to, are now refusing to because they have uh, been living outside in uh, some of the newer buildings up on the hills in more open country and uh, uh, bigger rooms and uh, more opportunities they consider outside. So they're having problems getting people, getting anybody to come in and occupy the new sections. And they are getting some nice new sections up. I don't think I have any good pictures with me on that and the new buildings that's going up in the Jewish section of Jerusalem. Here you can see rubble and stuff. They're cleaning up. There's lots of cleaning up work to do before they can rebuild. Here's a new wall going up. That is not concrete blocks. That's soft stones. that's um, going up there. There's another donkey here. His saddles are empty right now, but uh, he'll soon get loaded up. Here is a street scene in old Jerusalem. Uh, And The Arab Territory, uh, it's all uphill or downhill. There's hardly a level spot big enough to have a marble game anywhere in Jerusalem As you see the streets here are stepped up and stepped up and sometimes you wonder if you're ever going to get to the top And about the time you get to the top and get leveled off and turn the corner you're looking up again for another quarter mile Um, This is outside, uh, just inside the Jaffa Gate looking out. This is uh, the point of the Citadel, it's called, and David's Tower is right back around the corner there. Uh, this building is out into the new city of Jerusalem. This right through there is actually the gate, and then you would be out of the old city. Uh, that's just a little farther out there looking down of the street of one of the old streets of old buildings in the new city of Jerusalem. Uh, this is up on Mount Corpus. Uh, this is the Kennedy Memorial. A lot of them sure I will recognize. Uh, this is what the Jew calls the Shrine of the Book. Uh, this right underneath this dome is where the Dead Sea Scrolls are kept. This is the Neset building in the background. Uh, right back in here is the uh, uh, is the Jerusalem Museum. In fact, this is on the museum grounds. But this line of the book is a sort of a separate portion of uh, the museum. We didn't get to see the real Dead Sea Scrolls the light uh artificial light only because there's no no uh, sunlight gets in there uh was affecting them they seemed to think it was deteriorating so they had taken the original scrolls out and working on them but they had a dummy scroll set in there that nobody would know the difference unless you were told it was identical to the real scroll but we didn't see the real scroll but we did see the two pots that the scrolls were found in and one is on either side as you walk in to the main entrance and the scrolls are displayed, this scroll as it is, is displayed on a big, big round cylinder about 15 feet in diameter right under the center of this dome. The dome is patterned after the lids that are on the, were on the two jars that the scrolls were in. The jars are sitting there with the lids on them. The lids are not exactly alike. Uh, I think that looks a little more like one than it did the other, but they were both a similar shape on top of the crocks or jars there so they that dome uh, in the shape of the covers of the thing. Uh, we went up for coffee and to mix with the uh, Jerusalem University students, talk with them and see them in their surroundings. This is the library of the University of Jerusalem. It's a beautiful building. They have beautiful facilities. Uh, far a higher percentage of uh, students have Young people in Israel go to college, over twice as many per capita as they do in the United States. And uh, they certainly have beautiful facilities, and most of them are new and good. This is the shrine that was built for the six million. This also is out at the foothills of Mount Scopus. This spike is built in honor of the six million people. Inside that thing is a couple of floor levels and there's all kinds of pictures showing pictures of the Holocaust, pictures of papers that was printed uh, in Germany uh, relating to Israel, the destruction of Israel, their attempted destruction of Israel, and so on. That is all dedicated to the six million. There is the Gnesset building again. Uh, I think this is our tour bus ride right here. These people were not a part of it. I had been up here, taking a couple of other pictures, and. Uh, uh, someone to take one of me, there with was in the background, now that is equivalent to the English Parliament or to the United States Congress. In the, in the Neset now, uh, there are quite a number, I think eight or nine Arabs that were elected and are, have the same authority, the same vote, and the same, uh, say, in the Israeli government as the Jews do. The Arabs in the West Bank, in the cities of Nablus, of Jericho, of Bethlehem, of Hebron, and a number of smaller places, are so happy that they have been taken over by Israel that they say that they would never go back to uh, Jordanian law. They would either leave their land or fight against Jordan to stay where they're at, or stay with Israel. And this, this same feeling will grow and grow and grow till all of the Arabs and the Jews or they're together. This menorah was given, this was right across the street, that's what I went up to take a picture of as I was going back to the bus. It's right across the street uh, from the Nessert building. That was a gift of France or Britain, who? Somebody knows, I'm sure. Nobody in the crowd knows? France. I'll accept that because I'm not quite sure. I believe it's France. Uh, This is a big bronze menorah that stands about 12, 14 feet high. It's a massive thing out here in this little park right across the main highway from the Gnesset building. Now this is a symbol of old Israel. Anytime you see a menorah, it's Israel. Anytime you see a Star of David, it's new Israel only. This picture is a couple of soldiers carrying machine guns. There was a whole busload of them up there come across. That was getting too dark. It was past time for outside photography that day, but I took a shot anyway, and I got the two soldiers, but you can't see the machine guns they were carrying. It was not an unusual sight to see soldiers with Uzi guns, submachine guns. they get on the bus behind you and in front of you and sit down on both sides of you. Uh, they stood at the street corners. They waited at the bus stops. Uh, They're just liable to be anywhere. And it was a mighty good feeling to have them around. Uh this is a playground uh up on the foothills of Mount Scopus, just north of the of the city of Jerusalem. That's a double sliding board coming out of that tongue of that horrible looking thing. I thought a little unusual, so I took a shot of it. We're well, up here down. Okay, thank you. Amaya, I've got my head right in your light all the way, haven't I been? We're up here uh, uh, looking down on some construction. This is uh, on the Mount of Olives. This up here is uh, near the top of the Mount of Olives again now. And Bethany is right over the hill just on the other side. is Bethany where Christ spent his last three days before he went down and ate the Passover supper on Mount Zion. Uh This is just some more construction. These buildings, as you see, are all new. You see some ultra-modern type of buildings here, up on top of the hill and the skyline is all new concrete buildings. This is out on the Mount of Olives, out east of Jerusalem, and is all new because this was Arab territory up until 1967, and uh, the the old junky places that the Arabs lived in wasn't fit for anything but bulldozing, so it's all been cleaned out. And a whole city has been built up there in the past five years. It took a year or so to get it cleaned out and decide what to do with it. But it has been replaced. Uh, this is down at the um uh, had- uh, no. the national hospital anyhow of Israel, uh, the Hadassah, Hadassah hospital. This is the Chagall windows. There are in the uh, little synagogue that is a part of the Hadassah Hospital. Uh, that's three of them. I don't think I have a picture taken. Yeah, that's down from the inside looking out. We weren't supposed to take pictures, but we didn't know it until everybody saw a picture or two. Each of all windows is supposed to be... The 12 windows are supposed to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, that uh, it's uh, built into that artwork and that stained glass of things relating to the nature and the type of people and the habitats of the people of each of the 12 tribes. Those windows were taken out during the 67 war and hid didn't saved because they weren't sure what was going to happen but they were put back in. That was the Hadassah Hospital, that is the biggest, that is the national hospital of the city. This was this looking from up on top of Mount Scopus down to the thing and it's a good deal farther even than it looks to be there. I imagine by driving by road it's about five miles to sort of the way well, if crow flies, it wouldn't be over a mile, a mile and a half. But it is part of distance because it's a very large building and uh, one of the finest hospitals in the world, of course. Uh, you get some idea of the terrain here, rock and more rock and rock and more rock up to a point here. Now, here, where some of you are talking about having trees in Israel, these are new planted, uh, mostly fir trees, and some of you may have uh, a few fir trees up on top of that hill. That's up on, on the side hill of Scopus. Uh, We're looking here at some building, construction that's going on. You see the big sky hooks on top of these buildings. They're still under construction. This is a very common sight anywhere you go. There's buildings going up like that, 18 to 20, 24 stories up in the air, uh, under construction wherever you go, from clear down at Elit, clear up to the northern end of Israel. Uh, There is the desecration this should have been back with the others. These, these are not very well organized. i have had to move them around so many times. This is a bunch of Mohammedans on the temple area. There is the, the uh, Mosque of Omar again. And these Mohammedans are all down here, bowing down to Mecca, where they pray at noon when the bell rings, a little chime rings there on the side uh, of this temple area. And all these people flop down and, and pray in a sort of an exercise type of a way uh, uh, with their heads toward Mecca some day the Jews see fit to stop this kind of thing Uh, this is inside this is a picture inside the Mosque of Omar and this stone here it is supposed to be the top of Mount Moriah. This was built on Mount Moriah, at least according to tradition. This stone here is supposedly the stone where Abraham offered up Isaac. Now, that's all that's in the inside of that massive building, a building that costs lots of money. The dome is really gold. The carpets are, well, they're so great that you don't, you don't dare set a shoe on. You put your bare foot on the thing. Uh, but that was... The Moriah stone you can see that you can see actually that it is stone there and there's a real fancy wall built around it So you can't get to it or touch it, but supposedly according to tradition that is where uh, Abraham might have offered up Isaac Uh, This is looking at it. These pictures I had to buy this is looking down on it from the top Because you're not allowed to take pictures, but you can buy them when you get outside So they had this little This is an aerial view of this ground this is the temple area you see it there laid out from there over to here to here and to here is the temple area Uh, this part here is the old city of jerusalem around about here and comes down and runs quite a ways uh, north yet from that there is the golden gate now i told you we'd have a close-up that's the golden gate on the east side the only gate on the eastern wall facing the Mount of Olives it's bricked up it's closed up tight and you can see the Arab uh, tombstones right up into the gate if the Messiah does come in there they're going to be there first this is another picture that uh, in Gethsemane we'll skip over that Uh, that's down the Chudan Valley Uh, this doorway here is the one that leads into on Mount Zion outside on the north side of the Wall city is mount zion just a little old hump on the end of the city below just south of moriah it's actually one mountain but the different peaks like which is zion and going through this door you could go into the upper chamber where christ uh, according to tradition is supposedly ate the last supper but it could not have been this building because this building could not have been there at that time yet they show you a building where the last supper was eaten we get down here to uh, Mech, uh, the cave of Machpelah down at Hebron the tombs of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and uh, their wives except Rebekah and they say even Adam and Eve possibly was buried there according to tradition uh, <coughs> Nazareth uh, 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 Hebron rather is a very dangerous city to be in you're told if you got any business in there get it done and get out there's men with machine guns mounted upon these buildings around watching guarding you, but it still isn't too safe to be around there uh that's just another picture of the cave and some of the to members. Uh there's a picture this now is in Bethlehem. This is a picture of the uh, the countryside the, the city side uh, in the old city of Bethlehem.
1: Uh
0: this picture here is uh, this one goes back in, back into Hebron now because we stopped at a little place right here that you have lunch uh, Hebron, again, is a purely Arab city, but there has been a little group of uh, Jewish young people, not necessarily even a kibbutz, but just a little colony of some um, 80 people or so has gone down there and established themselves in the north side of Hebron, again, just to show the Arabs that if they want to live in Hebron, they can, and they're there. And they have a little station where we was at here, where I took these pictures from, where you can buy souvenirs and postcards and something to eat and drink. But it's the only place in Hebron, really, that would be a safe place to even stop. While we were there, a couple of different military vehicles come by just to see that everything was quiet. They have 20 caliber machine guns mounted on the front, and each soldier has either a machine gun or a submachine gun in his lap, and he's ready for action. Uh, Right across the street there, there's Arab shops, but we were told not to cross the street, not to go over there under any condition and do any shopping. Here's the same thing you can see, they had, oh they kept hollering over at a group of some 30 or so. They had nice sheepskin coats, they had all kinds of pretty things to sell, but uh, it's not really uh, safe to go. There is a donkey you see, laden with some three or four bean bags. that looks like a couple of bushels of grain in each one of them, and I'm sure that load weighs more than that little donkey. But he goes mauling on up the street. This is uh, the cave of Rebecca, the tomb of Rebecca which is lies in between and the story of why she is here is because she died too late on friday to be buried that day and she could not be carried over to the next day because the next day was her sabbath and she could not be held over to the following day so she's buried along the side of the road the old road that goes to from from jerusalem to bethlehem to is still the same road that uh, has been traveled from the time of abraham and uh Rebecca's this is supposedly Rebecca's tomb, according to tradition.
1: Uh,
0: you've seen this, the pools of Solomon. I don't think Solomon's ever there. And I know he didn't build a pool, but there's a beautiful pool of water there that's been there for a long time. It's called the Pool of Solomon. In Bethlehem now, this is the uh, church of the Holy Sepulcher. Uh, I want you to look t- look close at this. You see the arch where the original door was? you see how it was built down and closed in from up clear up here down to this gothic arch which dates back to the 12th century then it was closed down farther then it was made little bitty like this anybody know why it was made so small i'm sure some of you have heard the story to keep horsemen from riding in back during the dark ages and there and uh, the raiders that came through from time to time from different directions different places and came through and raided these places they were supposed to be christian shrines there was valuable Things in them, and there was paintings, and there was uh, gold, and all kinds of stuff. And these raiders come in on horses, so the this thinks a little. of even the short fellow has to stoop over to go under there. And there wasn't a chance of a horseman riding through. And you still left it that way, and you still duck down if you go in. Uh, this picture is in Bethlehem, also right across the street from the place where we uh, had a snack. Uh, and here's some donkeys laden with the oil this is a uh moder- unmodern oil truck each donkey had uh, 10 five gallon cans of oil fastened on him this man come down there riding on the the, front, the shoulders of the front of the lead donkey he stopped right in front of where we was and unloaded all the donkeys from their oil and then started carrying them down steps to deliver these three barrels of oil uh, right over where the donkeys was, I stepped over the other side of the street and took a picture of this, is Bethlehem, uh, the home of David, where David was born the shepherd boy. Uh, you get some idea of the kind of terrain. These was all terraces very close together, mostly grapevines growing there now, some olive trees, but mostly grapes in that area. But you can see the kind of territory where David would have had to herded uh, uh, his sheep. Uh, This is another picture swung around just a little bit to the right uh, there in Bethlehem. And another, giving you some idea of the type of terrain that is there looking over. And the street that we were on, you're looking over and you see how far down you're looking on the roofs of buildings, not more than a few yards away from the street, but you get some idea of the elevation, the incline of the hills that are involved there. Uh, There's another picture, I think this was taken across from the other side, but you see all the terraces. Some of those are grapes, some of them are always, but nearly all cases, it's one or the other. Ah, yeah, that brings us to. Uh, <clears throat> this one here is uh, over to the left of where that other picture was made. Uh, also in Bethlehem, this is more or less what they would call a developed area, and then there is the undeveloped rugged up there where so are not even grapevines or olives. This is the glass factory I've been telling my uh, my class about. These pieces of blown glass, we stopped at that. This is just outside at the, at the north edge of Bethlehem. Another picture, see he, uh, Hebron that way and Jerusalem this way. We're in Bethlehem. You go that way to Hebron and you go this way to uh, Jerusalem. That is the glass factory. It's a very, very simple little old tin shack, just sort of a windbreak and a sunbreak. That home up there, I think is belongs to the owner of the glass factory. Uh, this was taken out of the bus as we was leaving, heading back to Jerusalem uh, for the glass factory. And you get off out there just a little ways, you see they're going to Jerusalem, or you make a hard left and you head down toward Barakiba. Somebody turn the lights on, please. I thank you.